Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Ein Fulong was a word first coined by German philosopher Robert Vischer in his Ph.D. dissertation in 1873, used to explore the human capacity to enter into a piece of art or literature while feeling the emotions of the artist they strive to represent. Ein Fulong translates to in feeling or feeling into, and offered up an aesthetic meaning. In 1909, it was translated into the English vocabulary by American psychologist and director of the Cornell Laboratory, Edward Titchener, as empathy, coming from the Greek root pathos, which means emotion, feeling, pity, or suffering. Empathy went from aesthetically feeling art to aesthetically feeling other people, and it got its name at a time when psychologists resorted to labs and training programs to conduct experiments on human perception and sensation, establishing its new branch of science, modern psychology, much further. It was also at a time that modern psychology began exploring the internal dynamics of the unconscious and consciousness itself. It took that long, centuries, for humans to delve into their selfhood, being able to recognize their innermost feelings and thoughts in relation to another's innermost feelings and thoughts, to thus define empathy and be able to discuss it appropriately. Empathy grew to be a powerful new conceptual term in the world of modern psychologists and scholars, and it stirred up quite some controversy when it came to its definition. American philosopher and psychologist George Herbert Med defined empathy as everything taking on the role of another in order to assess that person's thoughts, behavior, and intentions, thus being able to create an appropriate response. Child development psychologist Jean Piaget agreed with Mead and added that children were especially great empathizers as they were most apt to read others in order to establish social relations. Empathy still became increasingly difficult to define as questions were asked, how can we know what others think and feel? And also, how can we explain the impulse to want to respond to the feelings of others? The answers can be explained biologically. For one, we have so-called empathy neurons or mirror neurons in our brains, which allow us to mimic the behavior of another outside of ourselves. Also, child development researchers have long noted that infants as young as one or two days old are able to identify the cries of other newborns and will cry in return. This is called rudimentary empathetic distress and is a result of this empathic predisposition which is embedded into our biology. It is not until an infant begins to develop a sense of self and others, which scientists say is around the age of 18 months to two and a half years old, when their real sense of empathic extension kicks in. In other words, it is only when an infant is able to understand that someone else exists outside of themselves when they are able to experience the other's conditions or feelings as if it were its own and then respond in an appropriate manner of comfort. For example, in several studies, two-year-old children often squirmed in discomfort at the sight of another child suffering and came over to them to comfort them by either offering their toy, a hug, or even sought out an adult to nurture them. We are all innately wired to seek out empathic affiliation and companionship with not only humans, but also with other creatures and nature. The extent to which empathetic consciousness or our level of empathy develops, broadens, and deepens during our childhood, adolescence, and adulthood depends on our early parenting or what many psychologists refer to as an attachment style, in addition to the cultural and family values, morals, and traditions we are exposed to and raised with. Scientists speculate that increasing isolation from other humans, society, and nature could potentially result in severe psychological and even physical deprivation with profound biological consequences on our future species when it comes to empathy. 
Aside from the fact that we need to have a great sense of self in order to make mature empathic expression possible, if we cannot understand ourselves and our own feelings first, it would be next to impossible to understand that of another. It is also possible to over-empathize or experience empathy fatigue, where we become emotionally and physically exhausted from caring for people day after day to a point where we no longer care. We become numb. Many of us have experienced this during the pandemic, trying to navigate through health guidelines, the political battles, the racial injustices, and the natural disasters. It has been absolutely exhausting and is still ongoing. How can we still care without getting offended, without offending others, or without shutting down? How can we navigate through these high-conflict times? Well, today on Love from the Hip, Bill Eddy is here to help. Bill is a family mediator, lawyer, therapist, and co-founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. Bill will share with us his method to help us defuse conflict, calm down upset people, and ourselves immediately. And he calls it an ear statement. So stick around after this quick break to learn more. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E S T H E R A Care.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. It is my pleasure to have Bill Eddy on my show today. Bill is a family mediator, lawyer, therapist, and co-founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on, Sakura. My pleasure. And where are you joining us from? I'm in San Diego, California, down oh, south. Sunny weather, I'm assuming. <laughs> right now, that's for sure. Wonderful. So, Bill, what does an ear statement stand for, and how did you come up with it? So, ear statement stands for a statement that includes E for empathy, A for attention, R for respect. So, an ear statement includes one or all of those. And as your introduction explained, empathy is hugely important for us humans, and this gives a simple technique for communicating that. The way I came up with it is about 15 years ago, when I was primarily doing divorce mediation, I had couples that would be, of course, upset with each other. And every once in a while, they'd be upset with me. Mm -hmm. And one day, one of the husbands 
pointed his finger about six inches from my nose and he told me what he thought should get done in this mediation. And rather than telling him to back off or calm down, I said, wow, I can see how important this is to you. Don't worry, I'll pay attention to all of your concerns. And I have a lot of respect for your preparation because he brought a lot of papers with him. Mm. And I realized that's an ear statement. That's wonderful. And so then from using it with your clients, you then expanded it? Yeah, so we found so I because I was already starting to do training of other mediators, lawyers, counselors, even judges, um, I found that this is really applicable in any setting started teaching people in the workplace. Uh, managers, human resources, etc. And then neighbor disputes, <laughs> and pretty much anywhere that you find human beings, uh, ear statements can come in real handy. Wonderful. And I bet they prevent a lot of those high conflict divorces, as well as trials. <laughs> yes, they keep things from escalating. And that's the key. Yeah. Well, gosh, where were you for me 15 years ago? <laughs> so, Bill, before we get more into the ear statement, I would like to discuss emotions. Can you explain more about emotions and how they are spread, regulated and processed? Yeah, it's fascinating. We don't usually think much about the process of spreading emotions, but emotions are contagious. And if someone's angry with you, it triggers, and you hinted at this in your, your beginning, it triggers your mirror neurons, it triggers your amygdala, and your body gets ready to fight back. And yet, in modern times, if we just, you know, tried to punch out every person that raised their voice at us, it wouldn't work very well. <laughs> so instead, it's learning how to redirect that, turn negative emotions, override your negative response, turn your response into a calm, positive ear statement, and your emotions can also be contagious. Mm -hmm. So when you turn that negative into a positive and send it out, other people tend to mirror you and calm down. So that's a big hint. Don't mirror angry people. Be calm, give them ear statements, and they will mirror you much of the time. That's wonderful. And so how do schemas come into play when it comes to a person's emotions? Well, the way, you know, we automatically respond. So I mentioned the brain mirror neurons amygdala, and that gets hooked even faster than you're conscious of it. But also your deeply held values that you've learned really over a lifetime, that certain things like someone may grow up with a schema that says you can't trust anybody, or someone might grow up with a schema that um, men will always hurt you or women will always abandon you. And so when someone's upset, it triggers your schemas, which often adds to your negative response. And so you need to override that, which you can do consciously. And if you repeatedly do that, it becomes more automatic. Although I must say, I've been teaching this for 15 years, and it's still not 100% automatic. I still trip myself up sometimes and start reacting first. And then I go, oh, wait, I have to do an ear statement. <laughs> well, you're only human. <laughs> yep. So yep. again, this is practice, and then practice then is rewiring the brain, is what you're saying. Exactly. I think of it like an Olympic athlete who just trains and trains and trains, and then they can deal with a huge, a billion people watching and help themselves still stay calm. Yeah. So you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say is the overall purpose of an ear statement? The idea of an ear statement is really to calm an upset person. And I want to mention, I've been talking about when they're upset with you, like they're angry at you, but you can use this with any upset person. Someone might be sad and tearful, a child, um, a co-worker, um, just someone who's upset and their emotions are overwhelming them, um, or at least are strong. And an ear statement can help calm them and soothe them. And especially when there's the negative anger coming at you, 
is an ear statement can turn that into a positive conversation. Mm-hmm. And so essentially you're pulling them out of the trauma for a moment. Yes, absolutely. And I should mention that when I developed this, um, I already had experience as a therapist having worked in a psychiatric hospital with patients with head injuries. Mm. And I hadn't yet figured out an ear statement, but these kinds of things, calm tone of voice, giving some empathy, would really calm down people with head injuries who would get agitated very easily. Yeah. And so it really can have that, that calming effect with almost anyone. That's really fascinating. So how often would you say an ear statement works? What percentage of the time? I say about 90% of the time, and I'm talking about upset people. So because I was a therapist for 12 years and then practiced as a lawyer in family court for 15 years, and then almost 15 years doing mediation, in all these settings, um, it's, it's not 100%, but upset people, very upset people, mostly respond well to this because you're not fighting them back. You're connecting with them. Right. Almost like commiserating. So when will it not work and and why? (laughs) Well, the specifically, I mentioned in the book that situations say there's someone uh, dealing with domestic violence and they really they have the ability to leave. And they may go, well, maybe I'll just calm him down with an ear statement. And I would say safety first. If you can leave um, and you know what's coming, then it's better if you leave than put your energy into an ear statement. I also explain in the example, if there's a restraining order and you get called up by a person who's got the restraining order against them and you're the victim or survivor, that don't, don't answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll give them an ear statement. I'll answer and I'll give them an ear statement to calm them down. No, if there's a restraining order, you shouldn't have contact. Don't even answer the phone. Right. So Absolutely. those are some exceptions that I would say. So that's when silence is best. <laughs> yes. Yes. And aside from that, though, would you say silence and I'm sorry and, you know, thank you would, would those work down to work to calm down an upset person? Well, sometimes they have some effect, but what we've learned is that it doesn't really help the person feel like you've connected with how upset they are. Mm-hmm. In other words, just saying thank you or saying, oh, I'm sorry, it just it, it doesn't show a connection with that you connect with how they're feeling. So if they're angry with you and you give them an ear statement that says, wow, I can see how frustrated you are. I really care about you. I want to, you know, help, help make things better. Um, sorry just leaves it kind of like you're agreeing it's your fault. Mm-hmm. And maybe a tiny thing is your fault, but if it's a big issue, that's not going to do that much. Right. Also, sorry takes you into the past, and ear statements are very much in the present. And I think we have more success by connecting with where people are right now rather than saying, oh, last week that thing, you know, I'm sorry I was half an hour late or something. Yeah. It, it brings up the old thing. And it so, doesn't allow you to move forward, right? Yeah, they're not necessarily bad to say thank you or bad to say I'm sorry, but your statements seem to be deeper. Would you say the silence also could increase the conflict? Yes, because mm-hmm. silence may reinforce their thinking about what you're thinking. And they might go, I know what he's thinking, and he's going to get ready to criticize me. And they don't know you're not getting ready to criticize them if they don't hear your ear statement. Right. And I've noticed when I don't respond, that people will come back with, oh, your no response is the response I see. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and people often get angry with Oh, yeah, absolutely. So can you explain what an HCP is? Yeah, HCP stands for High Conflict Person, and we've been teaching about that with the High Conflict Institute since 2008, and I've been writing about that really since about 2003. What we realize is maybe 10% 
of the adult population has a high conflict personality. That means they have a pattern of dealing with conflicts by escalating them mm -hmm. with blame, all or nothing thinking, unmanaged emotions, extreme behavior, and that you need to deal with them different. Don't try for insight. Don't focus on the past. Don't try to open up emotions and don't tell them you think they're a high conflict person. <laughs> Instead, focus on the present. Look at what we can do now. Give an ear statement and then let's look at our choices now. Mm -hmm. And where would you say a majority of their conflict comes from? Well, the, the thing, conflict, conflict comes from outside and inside. And so basically for high conflict people, it's mostly coming from inside. They're carrying it around with them. And a mistake people often make with high conflict people is they say, well, let's get to the root of the conflict. Mm -hmm. And 10 hours later, they realize there is no root of the conflict. The root of the conflict is this person's high conflict personality. Mm -hmm. So it's often going on inside. And that's a good reason not to take it personally also. Right. It's almost like they have this affinity for conflict. Yes, yes. Yeah. So nope. while you think we're wired for empathy, do you also think we can be wired for conflict too in some capacity? Yeah. You know, when you think back human history, conflict has actually been very helpful in many situations when you're not sure, should we go left or should we go right, you know? Um, and so someone says, well, wait, if we go left, this terrible thing will happen and someone else says, go right. So you finally make a decision and it could be the best decision or the worst decision. So conflict gets us thinking, but high conflict stops us from thinking. And so I think we have to put conflict in its right context. Mm. Um, so we're not just reacting all the time. We're thinking about, oh, is this conflict something that we really do need to debate? The idea of debates is you're looking for the best argument, the best uh, leader, whatever it is. Um, so conflict can be constructive unless it's destructive. Right, right. And then... I wanted to ask also, what, what do you think keeps us from empathizing, really tapping into that part of us? Well, I think what's interesting, and I'm glad you pointed it out, even infants have some empathy, mm -hmm. but also we learn empathy a lot during our first five or six years. Some people had abusive histories, didn't really learn much empathy because they didn't receive empathy. And so it makes it harder for some people just um, from growing up. But what's interesting in today's world is we're being told to turn off empathy for this group of people and turn on empathy for this other group of people. And that becomes a dangerous thing because it's true you can turn empathy on and off to some degree. And when you turn off too much empathy, um, then people start treating each other as objects and and dangerous things when that really may not be appropriate. That's when we go to war. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to take a break, but everyone stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to discuss a rather new treatment when it comes to the eyebrows. We have heard of brow tinting and microblading and micro shading, but now there's brow lamination. So what is eyebrow lamination? Well, this new procedure focuses on creating super shiny and smooth eyebrows which stay put. It is essentially a perm for your eyebrows. This semi-permanent service may be a good treatment for someone who is tired of using brow gel or has rather curly and unruly eyebrows. Other reasons to get a brow lamination are for thinning hair as it helps to make your eyebrows appear thicker, to fill in those gaps from over-plucking and to help with the shape of or unevenness of your eyebrows. Brow laminations take about an hour or less and involve the following steps. Your esthetician first applies cream to your eyebrows to lift up your hairs while your brow hairs are brushed upwards to help pull them in a uniform vertical direction. 
Next, your esthetician will apply a neutralizer to help seal your brows into place. Lastly, a nourishing oil is placed upon them to prevent skin irritation and dryness due to the chemicals used in the treatment process. The nourishing oil or cream is recommended to be used every night thereafter to help prevent your brows from drying out. Unlike microblading, which involves the use of small cuts into the skin beneath your brow via needles, mimicking small strands of hair with tattooed pigment, or microshading, which is similar to microblading but instead inserts small dots of tattoo pigment throughout the brows, brow lamination is not invasive. It can, however, cause skin irritation in the form of swelling, redness, peeling, itching, bumps, and possibly an allergic reaction due to the chemicals used on the skin. Brow lamination is therefore not recommended for people with sensitive skin, rosacea, eczema, and or a history of contact dermatitis. And because it is non-invasive, brow lamination only lasts a couple of months and costs, at most, on average, $50 to $100 per session. Compared to microblading and microshading, it is considerably cheaper. Tinting is another less invasive brow treatment and involves an application of tinted color placed on the brows which helps with those bothersome gray or white hairs and also refreshes and renews your eyebrows. This process lasts about four to six weeks and costs on average around $20 to $25. Of course, the least invasive and cheapest way to undress unruly or thinning brows is with eyebrow gel or an eyebrow pencil, but this requires skill and only lasts the day, if that, and is washed off each night only to have to do it all over again the next day. In the end, the alternative treatments of brow lamination, brow tinting, microblading, or microshading may be more worth your while and your time. Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one, two, three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A. SkinAndMind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. Today, I have the pleasure of having Bill Eddy on my show. Bill is a family mediator, lawyer, therapist, and co-founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. So, Bill, your book is amazing, by the way. It's an easy read. I recommend it for everyone, and it's going to be so helpful, and I can't wait to use it. <laughs> um, but you give so many great examples in your book, like you said, how the earth statement can be used in, in so many different ways in our life and with different aspects of our life. I was hoping, well, one, I wanted to ask you, are these real-life stories that you share in your book? And then also ask you if you can share a couple with us. Sure. So there are in the book just about every area of life. So family situations, divorce situations, workplace, coworker, boss, employee, um, neighbor situations, uh, political situations where people are arguing about things like masks, mm. um, police engagement with community, uh, religious disputes, all of this. So really any setting it really can be used. As I said earlier, anywhere that humans can be found. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let me give you, give you um, a, a couple example types of situations. So one was in the workplace. So a woman consulted um, with me with High Conflict Institute. Uh, she had her boss had left and a new boss came in and she had like a year left before retiring. And the new boss decided to pick on her. Mm. This was going to be her target of blame. Because I mentioned earlier, HCPs, high conflict people, tend to have targets of blame. So mm. she was his, the target of blame. And so what can I do? I try to run into my office to avoid seeing the person. Um, and I said, well, I'm going to suggest you do the opposite. At the beginning of the day, when you come in, pop your head in the boss's office and give them an ear statement. Could be, you know, 
like, how's your weekend? That's attention. You're asking someone to tell you and you're paying attention. Or that presentation Friday to the team was just really great. And that was really helpful. I really appreciate that. So that's respect. Uh, so do that, but just like for a minute and then, well, I got to get to work and go off to your office. So she did that. And after about a month, she said, my boss, I'm now my boss's favorite. I'm the favorite <laughs> on the team. <laughs> but, but the boss now is picking on this other guy. So I gave him one of your books. Oh, that's so, awesome. He, he became the new T.O.B. <laughs> yes, right, right. <laughs> wow, that's great. And you did share, I was hoping you could share about the protester example in your book. Yes, and this was a real scenario. This is a, a real police officer told me this story that basically back, you know, a year ago with the George Floyd uh, protests and such, that in one state, and I don't mention the state because it doesn't matter, that the protesters went up a ramp onto the highway and blocked the highway. And the police, you know, came up there and kind of stopped them. And after a little while, uh, the officer friend of mine told me this, said, there's this one guy that's just really good at talking to people. And so he went over to the protesters and he basically said, you know, wow, you guys are really impressive and you, you know, you've certainly got a lot of attention. There's, you know, news helicopters around and all of this. And, you know, you've, you've got a lot of attention here and, and that's very impressive. Um, and I want to suggest that there's a lot of people that want to get home right now on the highway <laughs> and you probably get more uh, empathy from them if they can get home pretty soon and watch this on TV. And so basically, you know, I'm not saying word for word what he said, but sure. the basic idea was he connected with them with ear statement types of conversation and they talked to each other and got up and walked off the highway. And so that could easily, and we saw in the news, the, the heavy duty confrontations, yes. this stuff you don't see in the news, but this stuff maybe even happens much more um, with confrontations, for example, with police, because I've seen several where it's really, they've done a great job of calming people down. Yeah. So it can really, it can really be helpful, but ear statements seem to be the core of what works. And really de-escalating a situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't mean people agree with each other, right. but it means they can part peacefully. Right, exactly. And you shared one more example that was a little bit more scary about a woman trapped in her home. I was hoping you could talk about that. Yes. And this is a fascinating story. I read this about 10 years ago. And there was a man who was a prisoner and he was at a court hearing. And somehow he got a hold of one of the of, of a gun, I think, of the bailiff or something at court and killed three people and escaped. Mm. And there was a big news alert and everything about that. Well, this woman was moving into a new apartment and somewhere late at night, the guy finds her and takes her hostage at gunpoint in her own apartment. Mm. And you would think this is, you know, the end of the story. But right. actually what happens is she essentially does ear statements. She gives him empathy. She was arrested once for, I don't know, drunk driving or something and, and, and had to spend the night at jail. And so she said, you know, I know how weird that can be and hard. She connected. He had a young child. He, she had a young child. So she gave him empathy. She paid attention, respected him for his some sincerity that he had. She mm -hmm. said he was kind of like a child in trouble and didn't know what to do. And so after six or eight hours of talking through all that, she convinced him to let her leave in the morning 
and to give himself up to the police. Wow. Because it was pretty inevitable the police at some point were going to find him. And of course, everyone was worried there'd be a terrible shootout and lots of people would get hurt. But she did a brilliant job. She didn't call it ear statements. But to me, it really showed empathy, attention and respect. Yeah, absolutely. Let me add to this something, and that is people sometimes complain to me, why should I say something nice to someone who said something terrible and rude to me? Mm-hmm. And I like to say, <laughs> oh, you don't have to, it's up to you, but it'll make your life easier. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them this story. I said, if anybody had the right to be angry, it was this woman, but she saved her life right. by giving your statements. Absolutely. So you and you had mentioned uh, in going into what you just said, you you mentioned some of your favorite ear statements, particularly it's not about you and and I'm not responsible for their outcome. Can you explain more about these? Yeah. So at the end of the book, I recommend giving yourself ear statements to help calm yourself down. And you can do that. Maybe even write them on a post-it sticky and put them on the bathroom mirror. Mm. And so my favorites are the ones you mentioned is it's not about me. And since I work in this field, you know, representing, you know, angry clients in court for many years, representing angry people in mediation, um, I have a lot of situations where they aim it at me and they say, well, Bill, you know, And they tell me how angry they are. And so I've really learned it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about what's going on inside of them. And remember, emotions are contagious, but I can override that and tell myself, I don't have to get angry back. I don't have to get upset. What I can do is just give them an ear statement. So tell yourself things like you're not responsible for how the other person's life turns Mm -hmm. out, Mm because often people want to save their friends and family from doing things that are probably not very smart. And it's like you can suggest things, you can give them ear statements, but you can't control the outcome. Mm -hmm. And that helps people relax and be less stressed. Yeah. So, uh, so if you're a TOB, I like to use TOB now, target, sure. <laughs> target of blame, <laughs> to not take it personally. And also you're not trying to solve the issue. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So it, it makes you less stressed. And the reality is the less stressed and anxious you are, the more you can calm other people. Right. Absolutely. So do you think there's currently a lot, well, less empathy in our world? I do. And I think it, it seems obvious, but people are confused. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of it is, of course, the nature of society today. Um, people are looking for groups, looking for identity. Where do I belong? And unfortunately, the message that's out in the public a lot is that it's us against them. Right. And when you have an us against them culture, you, you're turning off some of your empathy. I mean, I can't have huge empathy for whatever 8 billion people in the world, but I don't have to dislike them. I don't have to you know, hate them or be angry at them. But I think the us and them culture is teaching us to really turn off some of our empathy, and that affects our own relationships. Yeah. So, so there's that. But also, and this is fascinating, I was thinking about this with television the other mm-hmm. day, <laughs> is when you watch television, you can't do anything for the people that are in pain. Right. And you, you hear like they're interviewing someone that's their house burned down in the terrible fire, things like that. And you can't like reach out and touch them. And so I think we learn to see people in pain without having an empathetic response. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of why it's less and, and especially with COVID being isolated. Mm-hmm. It, we really do need people and we do need to give empathy and get empathy. So in a sense, we're, we've become more desensitized. Yes, that's a good, good, perfect term for it. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Which is sad. Yeah. It hurts us all. <laughs> exactly. Well, with that, we're going to take another break. But everyone stay tuned for more Love from the Hip. 
the passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. I want to take a minute and invite you on over to the Love Shack. It's a little old place where we get to get together, explore fresh perspectives, eavesdrop on juicy conversations, and uncover the mysteries that nobody talks about, but absolutely influences our relationships. And we're Tom and Stacey Bartley. We are the hosts of Love Shack Live, which airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. PST, 1150 KKNWAM. Yeah, come on over and join us. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just joining us today, I have the great pleasure of having Bill Eddy on my show. Bill is a family mediator, lawyer, therapist, and co-founder and chief innovation officer of the High Conflict Institute. So, Bill, as we were discussing before the break, there's no doubt that COVID has impacted the amount of conflict in our world. How would you say we could use ear statements to navigate through all of this polarization? Yeah, it's really something I believe that any individual can do. And if you're in a conflict with another person, um, let's say, for example, over masks, um, I jumped right into that one in the book, and I give an example of two people in a supermarket coming down the aisle towards each other. One has a mask and one doesn't have a mask. And so either one can turn this conversation around. Let me just give you a, just a little bit of a quote here about that. Sure. So they come near each other and they say, uh, don't come near me and my child used to be wearing a mask. And the other person says, don't tell me what I have to do. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. Besides, it's abusive for you to require your child to wear a mask. You should remove that at once. So they've each got out something angry. But then either one of them could turn it around. One of them could say, okay, look, I respect your right to not wear a mask. Just give me a minute to get my cereal and I'll back up. Or the other could say, Actually, the law allows me to decide for myself. Mm-hmm. However, I respect your right to wear a mask. Can you just let me in here for a second to get a box of cereal, if, if that's okay here? It's right there and points at it. So either one can turn that conversation around. Other political polarization, the same thing. What we find is it's a lot easier to hate somebody at a distance. If someone's right there, And I give examples in the book of people getting together with different beliefs and getting to know each other. Mm. And it turns out they're not as extreme. The polarization really softens. They may still have different opinions, but they also may like each other. Mm. And there's two stories taken from the news, one from the news, one from a book of where people with political differences spent a weekend together and actually respected. And, and some some people found they liked each other, were really kind of odd couples. <laughs> um, and the other was people with um, religious differences 
And they spent, I think, two different weekends together, getting in each other's community, learning about each other, and that the other person wasn't the evil other that they thought they were. They're actually likable people. Mm. So that one-to-one and small group contact really facilitates having empathy and giving empathy. Right. That sounds good. And then also, I would imagine social media can tend to stir up more conflict or people hide behind it more. Like you, as you were saying, they found that they got along in person. Yes, exactly. The same thing. So how do we not get emotionally hooked if emotions are highly contagious? Well, I think partly is just keeping track of our own mood and doing things that help you stay calmer so you don't get too wound up. And the other really is giving yourself these ear statements so that you just don't get hooked. You just remind yourself, you know, that's going on for that person and it doesn't have to, it's not about me. Yeah. And that's where we come back to that. It's not about me. That's my favorite one. People <laughs> are pointing their finger at me but I know why they're agitated. Something else isn't working in their life. So I can say, I know you're worried, yeah. you know, rather than getting angry. And would you say that's why you think the majority of people are taking things personally because they feel so helpless right now? I think so. I think people, when the more stressed you are, the harder it is to care for other people. Yeah. So can you tell us more about the High Conflict Institute and, and when you started that and who it's for? Yeah. Yes. So High Conflict Institute, I formed with a business partner in Arizona who worked for the court system. And we decided we wanted to do an educational uh, institute. So we formed it in 2008. And we've developed methods like BIF responses and ear statements and making proposals, but also knowledge about high conflict personalities um, all of this. And so over the last, uh, what is that, 13 years, we've been teaching really around the world a lot of professionals. Uh, we started with family lawyers because there's a lot of high conflict in family law, but ended up teaching all lawyers, teaching all different types of judges, uh, mediators, counselors, human resource managers in the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, Mm. uh, Africa. So it's really, and my goal as the chief innovation officer is coming up with simple methods that are easy to use, easy to teach, although they do take some practice. Yeah, so that's great. You were talking about BIF. Could you explain that one briefly? Yeah, so BIF is in writing kind of similar to EAR in conversations. BIF stands for brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So if you get a hostile email, you want to respond, let's say it's two pages long, just brief, like a paragraph. You want to include straight information, not opinions, advice, emotions, uh, defenses, all of that, just like who, what, where, and when. The party will be at five on Friday, and here's who's likely to attend. I'd like to bring the kids. I'd like to have that evening. Can we trade nights with the kids? Something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just straight information. It's got a friendly tone, so it may start, thank you for telling me your concerns, um, or thanks for responding to my request. And then the other F is for firm doesn't mean harsh. It just means that you end the hostile conversation and don't put any hooks out there like, what do you think of that, buddy? (laughs) You don't want to hook them back in. Right. Getting the last word. And we have, by the way, three books on Biff, a general book, one for co-parents after divorce, and one called Biff at Work. So it's a handy thing on our website. That's wonderful. So I have to ask you, Bill, where do you hope to grow from here? Well, I think really trying to spread more positive uh, energy and reach more people. And really, in many ways, by teaching these same simple skills, I, I really hope that we can impact society. And I know we've impacted families and we've impacted workplaces. 
So what we hope to do is really spread the more positive because today's problems can be solved. It's just people don't realize what to do. Right, exactly. And do you hope to also affect the youth and the young? Say that again? You, do you also hope to affect the youth with your statements as well? Oh, yes. In fact, this book is designed so that high school age kids can find it appropriate and actually have an example in there of uh, high school uh, kids in a band. They're putting a band together and they're having some arguments about who should be in the band (laughs) and then how they can shift to giving ear statements because they really want empathy, attention and respect. So all age groups down to high school. That's wonderful. Well, can you mention your books again and also share with my listeners where they can learn more about you? Sure. So Calming Upset People with Ear, and that's the one that's just coming out now. Um, I mentioned three Biff books, and they've also two of them uh, in the past 12 months with during COVID. Um, I've had a lot of time to write. <laughs> you and a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah, but I we have even more books on our website. It's highconflictinstitute.com. That's www.highconflictinstitute.com. We have books, we have videos, we have articles, uh, consultation, Uh, set up trainings, we go to workplaces, we go to professional groups. Uh, We have parent education on our website, they can come and take parenting classes. So we really have just a lot. And I mentioned the parenting classes, we also have a website called conflictplaybook.com. That's conflictplaybook.com, which is for individuals High Conflict Institute's more for everybody, especially professionals. So they can come and get all our information, but all the books are on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, anywhere (laughs) a bookstore can order it. Wonderful. So many great resources. And, you know, thank you for what you're doing. We we all need to calm down. (laughs) All of us. (laughs) That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for being here today, Bill. My pleasure. And thank you to Eric, my brilliant producer. You, the listener, KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasetter.com. Really love the show. Don't be shy. Drop me a line at sakura at lovefromthehip.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Go Beyond the Veil with my co-host Rory Reich. Stay kind out there. Stay true to you. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare ya. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y. R-E-I-C-H dot com.